The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Hi, welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we'll be talking about all things related to firearms, shooting, hunting, and the firearms industry. I'm joined today by my co-host, Zev the Wolf Nadler. Hey, Kelly, how you doing? Uh, happy to be here today. I know we got a great show, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, glad to have you here, Zev. Uh, Zev owns the Firearms Concierge and BestDronage.com. Any of you interested in having any dronage footage done, he's the guy to, to talk to. And, uh, of course, Firearms Concierge. Why don't you just give us a little idea what that is, Zev? You know, it started out as a way to bring tourists from the four- and five-star hotels uh, who really have probably never touched a gun in their lives uh, into having an experience um, out here at one of our ranges to Ben Avery shooting facility. Sometimes we get them out to Cowtown and we get them behind different rifles and uh, give them basic marksmanship skills. And many of them go on to buy firearms when they go home and actually take up sports. So So you've been in the firearms industry for a while. Yeah, since 2006. Awesome. Well, it's good to let our listeners know about that because they hear you on the radio. They say, who's that guy? (laughs) Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Everybody says that when they meet you. Who's that guy? (laughs) Anyway, we have a good time on the show and uh, looking forward to the show today. I want to give a shout out to Jim Borden of of Borden Rifles. Um, He makes some of the finest custom actions on the market. Uh, He he builds rifles. He he does a whole lot of things. And um, he's been really generous in a project that I've been working on. I decided a a little while back that I wanted to build a a junior rifle for F-Class uh, as a loaner to let juniors get acquainted with the sport, compete, uh, shoot a, a quality firearm uh, that'll give them an opportunity to see what you can do uh, when you have good equipment. And Jim heard that I was putting this loaner rifle together and immediately said, hey, I want to get involved. Uh, what can I do? And uh, can I send you an action? And I said, sure, that'd be great. And, you know, it never really occurred to me. I was doing this out of the you know, goodness of my heart, really. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of advertising for McMillan when people come to the range and see a, a rifle out there that they know that I'm, I'm letting people use. But I didn't really think of it as anything that would be interesting to the rest of the firearms community. And with Jim's uh, anxiousness to get involved, uh, I gave him a shout out on on social media. And uh, it's amazing that particular post had 129 likes and 19 comments and five shares, which is a pretty good um, amount of, of visual for a post like that and within those comments 
I got offers from half a dozen other people to get involved. Uh, Vortex scopes are, are going to donate a scope to the project. Um, had an offer from Night Force and, and said, you know, this project is already full, uh, it has a scope, but I, I definitely will call you on the next one. Krieger Barrels is doing the barrel on it. Um, Dan Bramley, a good friend of ours and, and one of our guests on the show in a, a past show, is doing the metal work for me as a, a, a contribution. Brooks Barrels offered to offer a barrel on this one. We'll take that on the next gun we're building. So th- the whole point is, is that I just am so elated that the firearms industry gets behind projects like this that are going to help introduce the shooting sports to young shooters and give them an opportunity to compete. Yeah, I was pretty surprised at the passion there. Um, It looked to me, if you go through all the comments, that there's about two or three more rifles to build in different configurations. Uh, And I think whenever you talk about juniors, you know, that's something that's close to everybody's heart. Get them involved in the the earlier years. Uh, My dad didn't teach me how to shoot. I I learned on my own, but now I've got my, my, well, my first daughter, Shy. uh, She learned when she was seven on a 22. Uh, handgun and then Sivan of course has been doing the small bore and we're going to see if we can get her into something else as well so yeah it's, it's great that everybody's involved and I couldn't believe the response yeah, uh, and I just want to use that as a segue into our first guest. This guy has already offered to work with me on a program that we've got coming up in extreme long range. Randy Brooks owns Thunder Ammo, and he, Randy has already offered to work with me on developing a 50 caliber bullet and let me try some of his bullets and, and developing a load for my ELR rifle. So uh, with that said, I'd like to introduce Randy Brooks. I mean, Randy Powell, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been calling you Randy Brooks forever. I have no idea why I have a mental mental block against your name, but it is Randy Powell and Thunder Ammo. I got it right. You're the right guy, right? Yes, sir. Uh, Give us a little background. I I know you have a lot to talk about because uh, the Powell family uh, in total has been really instrumental in the 50 Cal Shooters Association and doing some really great things in the last few years. So... Kind of give us a background of you, where you grew up, how you got into the shooting sports, and, and uh, tell us a little bit about Thunder Ammo. Well, I grew up uh, in and around San Marcos, Texas, and grew up shooting. My grandfather took me out uh, shooting an old single shot twenty two when I was barely old enough to hold it up. And so I naturally uh, wanted to have my kids know about firearms, firearm safety. So I introduced them at a young age. And in the late 70s, my older brother and I were shooting uh, 50 calibers with the available machine gun ammunition that uh, every once in a while you get a big bang out of one of those. And uh, we started out with the old Ballard bullpup. And then I reintroduced myself into the 50 caliber world in uh, around 2004 with the uh, introduction to the 50 caliber shooters association. And I saw a need for ammunition that was uh, above and beyond the military surplus, so I started Thunder Ammo to supply myself with ammunition. I did have a trucking company, and uh, I this gave me something to do while I was waiting on the phone to ring uh, to send a truck out or to head out in a truck. And then I saw a need for other people that wanted good match grade ammunition so I actually turned it into a business and uh, got my FFL 
and uh, moved on from there to where we are today. Well, one of the things that I really enjoy about the firearms industry is uh, it's one of the few industries left in, in the country, or maybe in the world, where people can actually have a small business that starts in the garage as a passion, a way for them to stay involved and be involved, that can grow into a, a business that can support a family or, uh, in in our case, 65 employees and, and, and stick around for a long time. And uh, I think that's probably the case with Thunder Ammo as well. It has grown, and it's grown out of uh, necessity and demand from customers. And when people demand a higher quality product and you can deliver it, it's, uh, it's a natural process to grow. And when the oil field went uh, down... I gave up trucking, and now I do Thunder Ammo and Arms full-time. We are building a line of extreme-range rifles using the TAC-50 stop and a longer barrels, faster twist. We've uh, designed our own chamber and bullets, and it's uh, coming along well. Well, you mentioned faster twist barrels on heavier bullets. Uh, I, I know for a fact that the, the twist rate in a barrel is kind of... Um, an unproven science at this point because there are a lot of people that believe a lot of things that are contrary to each other. I was back at the Marine Corps in Quantico not too long ago, and they said, hey, if you're going to shoot a 200-grain 308 bullet, the best twist there is is 7.5, and, and, and if you can't get a 7.5, 8 is but Well, you can't get a competitor out there to if you're going to shoot long range, and, and you can't get a competitor out there to shoot uh, that fast a twist on a, a competition barrel and those guys are supposed to be the ones who know everything so it's just uh, I think people to kind of take for granted what they've been learning about uh, twist rates on barrels is is the gospel and they don't do a lot of experimenting with that what are you finding with the faster twist on the 50 cal well the 50 caliber has been a 1 in 15 twist for over 100 years and with the new longer bullets seeking these extreme range distances, uh, we needed a faster twist. A, for example, a 2.8 inch long 800 grain bullet uh, will be stable at short range in a 1 in 15 twist, but if you want to go beyond a mile, you need a faster twist to spin the barrel, the bullet fast enough to uh, have enough gyroscopic stability to make it through that transonic stage without too much dis- too much disruption. And that reminds me something. I need to ask you right now, Randy. Um, I need a drawing of that bullet that you're going to send me. Rock is developing the dies for it now, and, and so he really needs to know what the perspective of that bullet is. So when when you get off the show, if you could, just send me an email with the drawing of that bullet if you got it. Sure, I'll go ahead and send you a drawing and uh, some samples. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we're trying to get this whole thing put together so we can shoot it at the end of June. I know you're going to be at the King of Two Mile, right? Yes, sir. I'm trying it again. Well, you have the distinction of... But I made a couple of mistakes in the finals, and uh, hopefully I'll learn from them and can do a little better this year. Well, you have the distinction of being the only guy shooting a 50 cal in the finals. Isn't that right? Uh, you know, I didn't look to see uh, who was shooting what, but I, I was shooting a 50 caliber, and I 
uh, was second place after the preliminaries and ended up in fifth. So I'm, I'm proud of that for my first attempt. My first shot over a 1,000 yards was the Monday before the match. And we verified some uh, the actual velocity. And since I had actual drop um, adjustments in my scope at two different long ranges and a 1,000 yards from 100-yard zero, we were able to match up the chart we made by adjusting the BC of the bullet until the chart lined up with the actual data. And it uh, turns out the BC of this bullet is 1.1. Um, that's um, that's pretty interesting information. I know everybody kind of gets glazed over when we talk about, uh, you know, the technical aspect of what it is that you have to know to do what we're trying to do. I think that's a pretty good indication that, you know, you can lay down and shoot. I tell people this all the time. Shooting at uh, 100 yards is exactly the same as shooting at a thousand yards. The key to being able to put a shot where you want it is to get the trigger to go off when the crosshairs are where you want it. And it doesn't change regardless of what range you're shooting at. But everything else that you have to contend with between, uh, you know, a hundred yards and a thousand yards and two miles is what makes this so challenging. Yes, it is. And one MOA at a hundred yards is one MOA at a thousand plus the variation of wind, heat rise, uh, there's so many factors involved. And the key to a first shot hit is having the chart, knowing your actual velocity, knowing the true BC of your bullet, variables that you need to put into your computer program to know how much to adjust your scope for that first shot hit at these extreme ranges. And Randy Zev here. I'm going to ask this question because uh, I'm I'm a newbie to this whole extreme long range. What is some of the equipment that you bring with you to the line, other than the rifle, you know, the the front rest, the the rear bag? What are some of your electronic equipment, some of your surveillance equipment, in order to make sure you get that first shot? Can you share that? Well, I came here. I came there last year without a team. I basically had a, a rifle with the right equipment. Uh, on, on the rifle, I had a little Jabaril, a Night Force scope, a Macmillan TAC-50 stock with a monopod and a bipod, and um, shooting off of a $20 shooting mat. And it was all about getting the data together and having a bullet that would reach the target, having a long enough barrel to achieve the velocity necessary to reach it, and then, of course, the faster twist that will uh, maintain the stability of that bullet at extreme ranges. But how were you able to see where everything was going? What kind of, you know, surveillance equipment? What kind of uh, meter did you have with you, and so on? Uh, I just had my night force scope. I, at two thousand yards, I could see my hit. You have a few seconds to recover from the shot and get back on target, and uh, I could actually see the impact. Uh, my first shot was a little bit low on the gong. And my second shot was off target, low and to the right. I adjusted my scope one MOA up, one MOA to the left, and had a dead center hit. Brilliant. So I didn't bring any fancy equipment. Um, my friend Eduardo helped me with his Patagonia program to uh, build a chart according to the data that we gathered the day before uh, on a range uh, near the range where we shot the King of Two Mile. And Alberto that you're talking about is Alberto Font 
Cuberto. Eduardo Abril de Fontcuberto. Yeah, whatever yeah. he said. <laughs> Eduardo is the match director, and uh, yeah. the King of Two Mile was his brainchild. So. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we got that in there, and, and I struggle pronouncing his name all the time. And you know, I'm going to send him the show to listen to so that he knows I know how to say it. Yeah, let's say, let's hear that one more time. Eduardo Abril de Fontcuberto. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad my name's Kelly McMillan. It's taken me almost 60 years to figure out how to say that without stumbling on it. So, um, so you didn't have a Kestrel. You didn't have uh, anybody spotting for you. You didn't have, you know, three other guys, you know, helping you coach wind and stuff. Is any of that going to change? Well, I borrowed a spotter from another team. Uh, my partner didn't... Uh, wasn't able to show up. He had some uh, work obligations. And yes, it is changing. I've gotten together with several 50 caliber shooters, and we'll be spotting for each other, learning from each other. And uh, it'll be a lot more fun having a team. And it would be a, it'll be a slight advantage, too, to have a support team. That sounds like that makes a lot of sense, too, because the National 50 Cal Shooters Association National Championships run... Uh, consecutively to the King of the Two Mile match. I, I know Alberto Eduardo did that intentionally, but so you guys will just be there a few days early and then you're going to shoot in, in the high power, in the 50 cal match, right? Yes. As the president of the 50 caliber shooters association, Eduardo introduced the King of Two Mile to the board and uh, we decided to back him on it and we run them uh, consecutively for the people that want to. Uh, attend both matches. I'm shooting every category. I'm shooting the King of Two Mile, the 600-yard practical and semi-auto match, and all four of the uh, FCSA categories, uh, light gun, which is under 32.5 pounds, heavy gun, which is under 50 pounds, and I will shoot unlimited with my heavy gun, and then a hunter with my uh, TAC-50. That's awesome. And, you know, Randy, I noticed here that you, uh, you know, we, we do a little bio and a couple questions before we do each show. Um, I noticed that you have a lot of, uh, uh, a lot going on in helping Australia to keep their 50 BMGs legal. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it wasn't just to keep them legal. It was to uh, have the laws changed to, to be able to own them in the first place. Uh, I was approached by a mutual friend of a mutual friend who wanted to get into the 50 caliber competition in Australia. And uh, I took it to the FCSA board. They decided to uh, do uh, an affiliation agreement with the uh, Long Range Shooting Club in Mildura, Australia. And through that, they were able to hold sanctioned matches and have been able to change the laws and they can now legally own both action 50 caliber rifles in Australia. And basically that's what the 50 caliber shooters association is about is uh, the sporting use of the 50 caliber rifle. And by holding sanctioned events in, in the United States, we are protecting our rights with the same clout we use to help the Australians gain the right to own a 50 caliber. We're using that to protect our rights. If it comes down to it, we have a sporting use for the 50 caliber rifle. Uh, we're not going to let them take them away from us. 
You know, I really appreciate that work that you do, Randy, and through the 50 Cal Shooters Association. Here in this country, we have uh, a document that says that owning firearms is a, an inalienable right. And, uh, you know, I think when, when it talks about that, it means all people anywhere. And so... It, it's good that we've been able to help other countries kind of see the, uh, and I know they're a little behind us. They took all the guns away a, a while back, threw them in the ocean, but um, we're still fighting hard to make sporting arms uh, available to people in, in their countries as well. Yes, and uh, my brother and I recently attended the NRA show in Atlanta. Uh, we were there with the, for the FCSA, and uh, we gained a few members and uh, talked to a lot of people. And one thing I, I relate to people is we don't want to get complacent. We say, well, we're probably okay for the next four years. We really don't know that, and we don't know what's coming in the next administration. As long as we have an administration that is constitutional, we're okay. But let's not get complacent and think that we're safe from our rights being taken away. I absolutely agree with that, and I think that's a good way to approach this. Um, in regardless of who's in uh, power at the time, the liberals are not going to give up trying to take away our rights. So uh, we have to stay vigilant at all times. Yes. One thing that it seems that that shooters have in common is that they are very strong family men. I know you are, and I know you introduced your boys to shooting fairly early in their lives. Why don't you give us a little background about your boys and, and what they've done and how they've done? I, I know you're really proud of it. I am too, because I, I take just a small bit of responsibility for uh, their success because you, you guys have worked with Millen for so long. Yes, and I, I appreciate your support. Um, we we're using uh, your older style Macmillan uh, heavy bench rest stock. And uh, Mason came on as a shooter. I believe he was uh, 14. When he was 16, he won uh, Junior World Champion. I'm sorry, when he was 17, he won Junior World Champion. At 18, he won Rookie of the Year and placed second overall. Uh, when he was 20, I'll have to look back to stats, get all these dates right. When he was 20 years old, he won a two-gun world champion. And uh, at the same year, Andrew won junior world champion for the third time in a row. And with that uh, original Macmillan rifle that we shot, uh, when I developed the 770-grain multiband bullet, which was a takeoff of my original Match 82 bullet, we shot over 100 five-shot groups between us at 1,000 yards and average 10.04 inches. Uh, if you take away Mason's one 14-inch uh, weekend, it drops below one MOA for 100 five-shot groups. And then, Kelly, you listened to us. I appreciate that. We wanted a longer stock. You came through with the uh, Super 50, and it works great. Uh, the first time I tried it, I shot the old stock on Saturday I averaged 11 inches with three five-shot groups, and Sunday I switched to the new stock, and I averaged uh, eight inches. So it knocked three inches off my group, having the extra length and stability of your new stock. So I appreciate that you've listened to the shooters uh, and, and given us what we need to continue to improve. Uh, 
Well, I appreciate you bringing that up, and, and I just want to let everybody know that, you know, that's what McMillan has done since my dad started this business back in 1973. Listening to the shooters to give them what they want is the only way that we know how to make our products any better. So I'm, I'm giving a, an invitation to any of our listeners out there who are competitive shooters who thinks they have a better idea to be able to improve scores in their particular discipline, let me know what you got. We'll talk about how we'll come up with a stock or a change in a stock that might make everything better. We've just done that with the exit stock in, in F-Class. We had never offered an FTR stock before. People said, I think you really need one. And so we, we listened to what they wanted. We developed it. And now everyone who shoots it scores are, are going up and, and they think it, it has made a big difference in their ability to improve their shooting so uh, i'm glad to hear that randy thanks i really appreciate you for you know saying that um but thank you for being willing to say hey look i think this is how we can make things better because there's nobody in this industry who wants to improve their product more than i do uh i've learned a long time ago that we can't sit on our laurels and say hey the products we got are good enough you just keep shooting them because uh somebody's going to come out with something different and and if we do that we'll probably lose a lot of customers so thanks sure thank you for a great product and and thanks for listening when we needed uh, an advancement you came through with it yeah that was my pleasure We've got just a few minutes left. Uh, I want to talk about something that you kind of touched on. Y you can't win these matches. You can't win a world championship. You can't be uh, the best junior shooter. You can't be the best any shooter in a sport anymore if you don't have all of the pieces to the puzzle. You got to have the right barrel. You got to have the right twist. You got to have the right bullet. You got to have the right stock. And you got to spend a lot of time on the range. Um, I'm guessing that you're in a situation near home where you get to spend a lot of time behind the gun. Well, I am fortunate to have a place uh, right outside of town that I can shoot at least close range, and I can drive about 30 miles and shoot 500 yards uh, pretty easily. So it is definitely an advantage. I just find that I don't have time to get out there often enough. I do most of my 50 caliber shooting at the FCSA matches. Um, as I said, we're just about out of time. We haven't talked about uh, Thunder Ammo too much. Could you give us the website for anybody who wants to find out more about what Thunder Ammo does? Sure. It's simply thunderammo.com, and our store is shop.thunderammo.com. And the store has other things than just 50 caliber bullets, and, and there's a, a reason for all of our listeners to go to your website and check out what you do. Well, we build uh, hand-loaded ammunition. We're about precision and accuracy, and uh, we don't do uh, mass production. Uh, we offer very few calibers, but we do them right. And so you do offer other calibers than just 50 cal? 223, 308, uh, 416 Barrett is one of our specialties, 338 Lapua, and, of course, the 50 BMG. Well, that's terrific, and I, I want again, once again want to encourage all of the listeners to this show, check out ThunderAmmo.com, see what they do, get involved with them, great people, great products. Uh, I really want to thank you for being on, Randy. You've been a great guest, and, and I'll see you in about a month in Raton. 
Thanks for having me. I look forward to seeing you out there. Okay. Thanks, Randy. Uh, I want to I want to ask all of our listeners to stay tuned. We've got another guest coming up in a, a short time. We want to take this time to take a short commercial break, and we'll be right back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, a great guest, uh, Randy Powell of Thunder Ammo. Really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, he's a great guy. He's really... Um, Light years ahead of other people in the 50 cal bullet market. Um, there are other great long range bullet makers out there. Cutting Edge is one of them that, that's, you know, basically on the cutting edge. And uh, Randy definitely has that niche of the 50 cal shooters and uh, the 50 caliber sewn up. So I want to thank him for being on the show. My next guest is a longtime friend of mine. I've known him for about 40 years. Uh, great guy. Uh, came to this country um, not too long before I met him and uh, decided he wanted to get into the firearms industry. As it so happens, he just uh, happened to knock on my father's door one day while we were at work and uh, you wanted to talk to him about how he could learn about firearms industry. Uh, Robbie Barkman, who used to own Robar Guns, and, and we've talked to Freddie Blitz, who purchased uh, Robar from Robbie. Uh, but Robbie also now owns uh, CTI, or Coding Technologies Incorporated, and, and has had since its inception. Coding Technologies is, is really... Uh, a state-of-the-art metal finishing company and uh, does a lot of metal finishing in the firearms industry, but also in a number of other different industries. And we'll let Robbie talk a little bit more about that. Hey, Robbie, thanks for being on the show. You bet, Kelly. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time and have lunch from time to time. I always have a lot of laughs and, and enjoy each other's companies. And I think uh, your story is, is such a unique story about you know, how you perceive things. And I think it really falls in line with, with the McMillan mindset of, you know, don't do anything unless you can do it, the, you know, the very best you can and, and put the effort into it because, uh, you know, that's the only way that you can ensure that you can have a, a quality product. I agree. I agree. If it's worth doing, then it's worth doing good. Um, I don't want to be second or third. I want us to be the best. Yeah, well, that's something that I've always known about Robar and ATI. Uh, why don't you give us a little history? Uh, people can tell by your accent that you probably were from another country, and I mentioned that. But uh, give us a little history, where you grew up, how you managed to find your way to the U.S. and, and get into the firearms industry. Um, okay. The... My parents were both world-class shooters. I was basically born into a uh, shooting family. And I got interested in um, combat shooting, as we called it in those days, or defensive shooting. And a fellow by the name of Jeff Cooper, who you may have heard of, had been writing some articles in Guns and Ammo magazine. And I had mentioned to the fellows that I was working with that we should probably go over to the States and go take a class with this fella. And then the decision was to bring him to South Africa it would be a whole lot cheaper. And I wrote to Jeff, and he jumped on the opportunity, and he came to South Africa in 72. And then we brought him back again in 73 and 74. And um, he and I became pretty good friends. And then at the World Championships in Salzburg in 76, he was just getting gun sites started, the American Pistol Institute up in Paulden, Arizona. And he invited my wife and I to come and take a class and uh, spend some time with them here in Arizona, which we did. We came over in April of 77 and took a class. And in fact, uh, he made me an instructor at that class. And I am very proud to say I still have that certificate. It was the very first one he ever issued. And he also offered me a job to teach on staff. And that started the whole ball rolling. I actually had no intention of coming to live in America. I'd come over on purely on a trip. And then I met a fellow in Phoenix on the way uh, out of Arizona. And uh, we just, he was interested in starting a dental lab, which is something I had a long history in. And we decided to form a partnership that would open the door for me to be able to come over here and teach at the school because at that time it was just getting started they didn't have a full-time position for me and so we did in uh, in August of 1977 I came back here with a five-year visa and started teaching at the school and started the dental lab so it was a pretty busy time but about a year and a half after I came over here I went home to visit my parents and, you know, people talk about a turning point in their lives or a metamorphosis. And for me, leaving Jansmat's airport with my mom in the car, I actually turned to her and I said, you know what, I will never come back to this country again. And I cannot to this day tell you why. The minute we drove out of that airport, I knew I was never going to go back to South Africa. And, uh, you know, I, the rest of it basically is history. I taught at Gunsight until 1986 uh, when I moved down here to Phoenix and started the Robar Company. So, um, 
We started CTI the following year, spun it off as a separate company because we were getting involved with the aerospace business, and firearms and aerospace at that time were not compatible politically. And so to preserve the integrity of both companies, I separated them. And that basically, in a nutshell, is, is how I came to be in America. Well, I think that we're all better off for you being here, and I really appreciate you, you coming over. I know that um, for some reason when things happen the way they happen, you, you can't always explain them like you said, how you knew that you weren't going back. But, um, y- you know, usually when you have that kind of a gut feeling and, and you follow it, it usually works out to be the best. It does. I think, Kelly, looking back, I think Jeff Cooper really did something that no one else has ever done for me and that he brought to light or awakened in me what it means to be a free man. You know, Jeff Cooper was not only a great innovator in the shooting industry, he was actually a political science teacher. I uh, was a professor at one of the universities in California. And our discussions at the dinner table at night, because I spent most of my time with Jeff at his house in the evenings, when he started explaining to me about freedom and about the Constitution and early American history, which I knew nothing about, he awakened in me a yearning to be a free man. And I believe today, and I am an American citizen, I became an American citizen three months after my five years was up, and I can honestly say that was the proudest moment of my life, was when I took the oath to become an American citizen, and as you know, I've become very, very politically involved. I'm a great advocate of the Constitution. I think it's one of the greatest documents ever written, and I believe that to be an American means to be a free man, and I mean in your heart you have to be free, and this is the only country where they teach you to do that. I wish we were on television right now because you could see the smiles that Zev and I have on our face. It's just, that's one of the things that has always drawn me to you is that you do everything with such passion, even speaking, and especially when you get to talking about the Constitution. I think you gave me my first booklet of the Constitution. And so this isn't just something that you've decided to do in the last couple of years because, you know, the political environment I can't remember how long ago it was that you handed me that 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 booklet. So this is something that really means a lot to you, and becoming an American citizen was part of that whole transition. It it was. You know, the thing that Jeff brought to light or helped me bring to light was the fact that I was in actual fact nothing more than a drone for the South African government. Because the indoctrination started from nursery school. You know, the teaching there was always about the government is right and whatever the government says is the way it's going to be. And you never question authority. I spent 11 and a half years in the South African Army and never once did it ever occur to me that any of the things we were doing might be what, from American standards, would be morally wrong. It never occurred to me. It wasn't until I started hanging out with Jeff that I started realizing, you know, <laughs> I've been brainwashed, completely brainwashed, and I was so angry, not, not just at the South African government, because most governments do that, but I was angry at myself for not realizing what a prisoner I was of the system. And it took coming over here and being exposed to him and to other people, I mean, American people in general, 
that being a free person takes a lot of effort and a lot of work, but most of all, you have to understand the rules. And the sad thing is that today, I'm finding a lot of young people don't understand what the rules are. Well, it's, it's kind of like the song says, you don't know what you got till it's gone, but you also don't know what you know, what you don't know until you learn it. So you, you didn't realize at the time that there was any other way for anything to happen other than what you had been exposed to. And I think the exposure and, and Jeff Cooper, I, I give him a lot of credit for being the man and having the information and helping you to, to understand it uh, that got you to the point where you said, hey, all of a sudden, hey, this isn't the way it, I want it to be in my life. Right. Absolutely. He, he absolutely was the catalyst. Well, you mentioned uh, around, I guess it was 77 that you came to this country, and it was not too long after that that, that you and I met. Um, uh, I want you to tell a little bit, and, and let's not make it too long, because I know you can you could talk about this for a, a number of minutes, but in j- just a short minute or two, kind of give the background of, of how you and I come to know each other and, and what that was all about. Okay. Um, well, I was at gunsight teaching, and Jeff decided to introduce a rifle class. At the time, I'd only been pistol smithing, and I was self-taught, and he moved very quickly on the rifle class scenario. And I realized there was no way that I could work on students' guns if they broke while they were at the school because I didn't know anything about it. I went to a gun shop here in Phoenix and asked one of the gunsmiths there uh, if he knew anybody who really, really was good at building rifles. And his comment was, yeah, actually the best guy in the country lives right down the road in Cave Creek. And I said, can you hook me up with him? And he said, sure. And um, he gave me a phone number and a name, and that was your dad, Gail. And I called Gail, and I said, could I pop over and talk to you? And he said, certainly. So I drove out to the house and um, knocked on the back door, and he opened the door, and I thought the house was on fire because there was so much smoke coming out of the door. (laughs) If you remember in those days, your mom and dad were both very heavy smokers, and I always joke with them, and for many years after, I used to joke with Gail about flying IFR to the dining room table. (laughs) So, anyway, we sat and talked, and I explained what I needed, and um, it after a while, we came to an agreement, uh, and I apprenticed basically under Gale for about a year and a half, and that got me my start in the rifle business. Uh, you know, your dad, Gale McMillan, is one of the people that I would say in my life I've had three men who are a great influence on my life. Of course, my dad, and then um, Jeff Cooper, and then Gale McMillan. Uh, those three people were absolutely turning points in my life steered me in a new direction. Uh, I'm really glad you shared that, and thanks. Uh, I love to hear stories about my father. You know, though he's been gone for almost 20 years now, uh, he's not forgotten, and that's one of the really cool things about the firearms industry is that he has a place in this industry that I think will, you know, keep him alive in our minds and our hearts for a a number of years to come. Thanks for reminding me what a great guy he really was. Uh, I want to I want to make one point is that Gail didn't charge you for this. Uh, I know that uh, you were willing and uh, you didn't care what it was. You wanted to get the education. But as it turns out, the way it happened, Gail just did it. Out of, and I say out of the goodness of his heart because he didn't want anything return, in return for it. And, and he wanted you to be successful. So that's cool. 
absolutely true. Not only that, but you know that when I was up at Gunsight full-time after they built the house up there for me, uh, your mom and dad actually drove up one Saturday just to come and visit and see how things were going. I mean, Gail literally became a part of my life. And then when I moved down to Phoenix, as you know, he moved into the building, the same building that I'm in, the suite next door. So we did end up spending a lot of time together. I like the story about how you ended up with the NP3 process, and why don't you share that with our listeners, just so that they understand that that sometimes things just happen, and if you're not willing to take advantage of them and make the right moves, sometimes they pass you by and you didn't even know you had a chance. You know, Kelly, that is absolutely true. The, the, I always kid people when they ask me, well, where did you get NP3? I tell them sitting on the toilet. And in actual fact, it's true. <laughs> but let me explain. It's actually a true story. So I had an old fellow used to come and call on me. He was our chemical rep. And just a super, super nice old guy. And he and Lisa, my wife, hit it off really, really well. And he used to come in every Tuesday at 11.30 because he knew we would go to lunch on a Tuesday at 11.30 and we would take him to lunch. And he came in one day and I said to him, hey, Russ, how are you doing? And he said, fine, do you need anything? And I said, well, what have you got that's new? And he said, well, I don't have anything, but I have a very interesting technical paper on a new product that is going to be coming out. He handed me the brochure and I put it down on the desk. We went to lunch and then days later I put it on the desk in my office and then one day the, uh, nature called and I needed to go to the bathroom and needed something to read and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity. I'll read this brochure. And you know in the, in the comic books how the guy gets a great idea and a little light bulb comes on? I mm-hmm. literally had one of those moments. It was the most amazing thing. I read this thing and I went, holy mackerel. And I read it again. And when I have to have the stuff, and just so your listeners know, I did wash my hands before I went to make the phone call. <laughs> so I, I called Russ and I said, hey, I have to talk to the guy that invented this stuff. And he said, as a matter of fact, he's here in Lincoln, Nebraska, visiting. He's from England, but he's leaving tonight. I said, please hook me up with him. And he hooked me up with Dr. Ebden, who was a gentleman who was the developer of the NP3 process. And we talked. And the rest literally is history. I came to an agreement with him, and we got the license and the exclusive rights to the Western United States for the MP3 process. And, you know, at the time I bought it and paid for the license, there was no product. It was all in the laboratory. It was an absolute gut feeling. I knew, and I asked Dr. Ebden, I said, Will this stuff really do all the things that it says in your brochure? And he said, absolutely, and more. And I said, good, sign me up. I want to be the first one to have this stuff. So I took a heck of a chance, because I actually didn't have the money to pay for the license at the time. But I did have a plane that was sitting and collecting dust over at the Deer Valley Airport. So I got in the plane, got it cleaned up, flew it over to Falcon Field, had the guys write me a check. I sold it right there on the spot, took that check to the bank, cashed it into a money order, and sent it to England. And that literally is how I paid for the license for the NP3. It was the best investment I ever made in my whole life. You know, you're the second guest, Robbie, that uh, made the money he needed to pursue his dreams off of an airplane. Uh, we oh, had really? Greg Medford. 
Yeah, we had Greg Medford from Medford Knives in here a couple weeks back, and uh-huh. uh, that was one of his first uh, major investments was buying an older plane and bringing it over here because I guess it wasn't airworthy in England, but he was able to make it airworthy here, and then he sold that and then ended up bringing another 20 in, and, and that was uh, a great little start for his, his uh, nest egg. And yeah. so it's kind of interesting to see two people doing that. Well, you've talked about MP3. Let's tell the listeners exactly what that is. MP3 is actually a very, very cool product, and I'm not just saying it because it's mine. It's fascinating how it works. So basically what you're doing is you are creating a composite finish. So you are taking a layer of electroless nickel, and as you're plating it, you are bonding submicron particles of the PTFE or Teflon, as it's commonly known, they are being drawn to the nickel particle and being deposited at the same time the nickel is. So what you end up with is a coating that is nickel as the base, and it's got these millions of tiny little particles of Teflon spread all the way between them. Best analogy I can give you is a Snickers bar. Every time you take a bite of a Snickers bar, you get all the caramel and chocolate, but inside are the little pieces of peanut. Those pieces of peanut are the Teflon particles. Every time you take a bite, you get some more of them. So as you wear the coating down, you're constantly exposing new particles of the PTFE. So it's always a self-lubricating coating as long as you have the integrity of that nickel matrix. Because we've been so intertwined in our businesses for so long, I've had a lot of exposure to uh, MP3, and I, I have a good idea of all the testing that you had done. Just give our listeners just a brief overview of everything that you've had done and how it performs. So when we talk about putting it on an action, a bolt, the internals of a bolt, or even a complete barrel action, which some of the the product lines that I've produced as a firearms manufacturer had the entire barrel action coated. So tell them why it's such a great product. Well, A coating has to do a number of things. Number one, it has to have good adhesion. So whatever you're putting it on, it needs to have a lot of stickability. It needs to really, really stick to the substrate. The second thing is it needs to give you corrosion resistance. The NP3 gives you an added bonus in that it also gives you a self-lubricating quality. So there's no liquid. There's nothing oozing out of it. There's no grease. There's no oil. No no lubricants at all. It's completely self-lubricating. The other magic about autocatalytics or electroless plating is that they plate very, very evenly. It doesn't matter how complex the part is, threads, holes, weird shapes, everything that's activated that goes in the electroless nickel tank plates at exactly the same rate. So your thickness is totally predictable. We actually are required in aerospace to hold a two-tenths tolerance. So we're talking about point. 0002 on plating and some of these parts are pretty big parts but they still hold us to that tolerance and we're doing an autocatalytic plating is the only way you can successfully do that and we do thousands of parts every month for aerospace and all of them have to be certified and that's another thing we are a NAD capped facility which means that we are certified for aerospace and um, that is a to the shooter, the advantage is is that your gun parts are going in the same tank that parts from the F-18 or the Apache helicopter or a Boeing jet 
um, going in exactly the same tank for the same duration under the same testing. The only advantage to the shooter is that he's not going to pay for all the plating that is required for the aerospace stuff, and that is really where the big expense comes in. Yeah, all of the documentation and everything that you have to do to prove that it meets their standards. Every time one of my employees touches that part, they have to sign for it. And we are required to keep those records for life. There's no uh, end date on any part that's an aerospace part. We are required to keep forever. As long as my brother and I owned a McMillan Brothers Rifle Company and into the transition of McMillan Firearms, we coded the, the bolt and the internals of every single rifle we built with MP3, and we did it for exactly the reasons you mentioned. Extremely hard. It didn't chip or flake off like a lot of other um, finishes and was self-lubricating, so you didn't need any bolt grease. You didn't need any lube. It was just the perfect thing for, for bolt actions, and I can't believe that every manufacturer in the country doesn't use it. Well, we, we're getting there. <laughs> We've got a lot of OEMs using MP3 now. It's pretty amazing. You know, it's taken, well, since 1987 when I bought the license. Actually, I bought the license in late '86. But we didn't go commercial with it until 87, so uh, you know, that's 30 years. Yeah, and it, it is absolutely the best finish on the market. Now, and we talked a little bit with Freddie, and I, I just want to make sure that our listeners understand, if they want to have any parts uh, coated with MP3 or anything else that, that Coding Technologies Incorporated does, they need to send their gun or firearm to Robar, because Robar provides for you the service of, of taking them apart, putting them back together, and then sending you know sending the, the, the parts to CTI to have them uh, coded, and then they also put the gun back and, and act as your FFL. Is that correct? Yes, pretty much. If the gun requires any gunsmithing at all, my agreement on, in the sale of the business was that we would do no gunsmithing, and we actually don't have a gunsmith or any of the facility to be able to do any gunsmithing. So if a customer wants to send a gun in and any of it requires gunsmithing, it has to go to Robar. If it's a, uh, an OEM or it's somebody who just has parts, and it doesn't have to be gun parts, it could be any of the finishes that we do, they can send those parts directly to us. CTI does have an FFL, but we are not allowed to do any gunsmithing at all, nothing, not even knock a pin out of a gun. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Robbie, we got a minute left. Why don't you give our listeners the uh, information on how to get a hold of CTI? Uh, you can go to CTI, to Coding Technologies Incorporated, um, dot com, or you can uh, call us at, uh, actually we've just changed our phone number now, and our new phone number is uh, 623-242-9575, and uh, you can get an extension, it'll give you a menu of extensions to get through to. Robbie, unfortunately, we're out of time. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Man, time flies when you have great guests, and, and you're definitely one. I'd love to have you back on the show when we have a little bit more time. We'd like to talk to more, uh, talk to you more about some of your personal experiences. But um, it, it's been great. Thanks for bringing up my dad and talking about him. I always like hearing stories about him. No, he's not forgotten. 
You're welcome, Kelly, and thank you very much for having me on. It's been my pleasure. Good deal. You know, once again, we've come to the end of another great show. I'd like to thank our listeners for spending their very valuable time with us. Remember, we'll be here next Friday on Voice America Sports Channel for another exciting episode of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. You know, it's it's springtime, transitioning into summer. Get out there in this great country, spend some time, and uh, pull a trigger or two. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.